The darkness of the night wraps itself around me, yet my mind is cluttered with burdens of the day. My heart, my soul, be still, be still, my mind, I say. The early sun awakens me before my eyes are opened. The day's worries yet to be have already loudly spoken. What to wear, where to go, what to eat, all rain down upon me. In my head, they swirl around, screaming for attention. Wake up, make the coffee, catch the news, shower. Rouse the kids, make the beds, feed the dog, water. Hit the road, off to work, get a check, power. Carpool, dry cleaning, groceries, mailbox, runner. Post-school happenings, I'm a taxi driver. Cook food, give a kiss to the man I married. Check homework, watch TV, everyone to bed. I finally kick off my shoes and take that breath. In the idleness of my busyness, my mind takes over. The report from the doctor, the balance in the checkbook, the perceived offense from a friend, and the problems of addictions. My own shortcomings held in my head, filled with much guilt and shame, the family estranged away from me, and words wrongly spoken. All beat upon me without relent as torrential, hard rain. Tension, stress, anxieties press upon me. I am overwhelmed. Then in the futileness of all these problems, he reminds me, one by one, I shed all things I collected in the weather of this drenching, thunderstorm-laden world I inhabit. I peel them off as layered clothes and robes no longer wanted, and naked without restraint, I escape out from the climate to the only place of harbor from the undulating winds to the presence of the Father, the shadow beneath his pinions. His strong tower, my refuge and place of security, always waiting open through his Son, this doorway is to me, for I am the daughter of the Lord and King of Majesty. Through his door I run. There's no other hope for me. I surrender on my knees. I weep aloud and pour out all my burdens. And when my breath in exhaustion has finally cried it all, upon my face I lay while I listen for your still small voice to thunder in my heart and soul as your stillness takes a hold. It permeates and resonates throughout my mind once cluttered. Every cell it saturates with your quietness recovered. In this silence is where I wait 
confident you heard my tears wrapped and enveloped in the tranquility of your embrace. I hear your voice, the sound of many waters, the music of trumpets and harps played with skillful fingers, the clap of loud thunder, the peacefulness deep in me, and the knowing that I know. You speak to me in your calm, my shelter from the storm. I pray, my soul, my mind, be still. Be still, my heart, you say. We're going to continue on. If you missed last night, you missed an incredible time with Dr. Gayla Holly. She's an anointed speaker, a songwriter, dramaist, playwright, and author. She has all kinds of honors, and one that I admire her the most for is Moms Against Hunger. The Lord gave her a ministry that started teeny tiny and has grown into a ministry that impacts children and mothers across our planet. So what she's speaking to us today about has taken, she's been there. She has walked that walk. And ladies, we are in the anointing of what has already been done in her. And I pray that every one of us would be touched personally in what God has called us in each of our lives to do. And so it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Gayla Holly. time it's already the spirit of the lord is already here in a wonderful way man well i promised last night i wanted to show you just a couple of my children nations and so if you're gonna can you help me let's just jump straight this is this is uh pakistan i'll show you two two nations and this is a very special place these children are orphans who have been bought and they are now slaves they build bricks by hand in a brickyard for life. They're slaves. That's not just an idle term. That is the reality of their lives. When I first started feeding these kids, we were sitting on just dirt, just the dirt next to the bricks. And so we made a decision. Let's buy some rugs, some big rugs, long, long rugs. Go ahead and flip the next one. So that we can set all the kids on the rug and they would have a sense of love, a sense of order, a sense of uncared for, even if it's in a brickyard. And while the children are eating, we're preaching the gospel to them. We're sharing the love of Jesus with them. Many of many, many, many of these children, most of them are orphaned Christian children. Their parents have been killed. These children now are owned by slaves, uh, owned as slaves. And so we bought these rugs, and which represent a prayer rug in that culture. And it's a, it's a form of a protection for us, um, so that if the owners should come in, I hope you're following everything I'm telling you, 
they would see the rug and discount what we're doing. Otherwise, I put the director's lives in complete danger. So the Lord has given us a great way to reach these children and with the love of Jesus. And the way I personally communicate with them is I make videos and they're posted to Facebook. And I speak slowly and I talk to the children. In Pakistan, that video is captured. Thank God for Facebook. That video is captured on a cell phone. He has an iPhone that we've made all this happen. He shows it to the children and he interprets what I'm saying straight to their little ears. So while they're eating Moms Against Hunger food, I'm talking to those babies. And I'm telling them that I love them and you love them. And I'm sorry they're in pain. And they're not by themselves that Jesus is with them. And then he will hold them at night when they're trying to sleep. He will not let them be by themselves. That's how I get to talk to these babies. And you, my partners, are getting to be a part of that too. I could go on for hours telling you the stories, but I better hurry. We found some pink, uh, little pink cups with polka dots on them. Um, this picture here, this is India. And we don't have any forks and spoons for them. They don't eat with forks and spoons. They eat with their hands. They're sitting on a tarp. It's <laughs> better than the dirt, which you will see there are some children sitting in the dirt. This is a refugee camp. There are refugees from the Middle East all over that part of the world, too. And so they have little tarps. And this is a, a wagon that we prepare the food in these big, giant pots, and we take it to these areas. Go ahead. Oops, it's sideways. It's a baby girl. She doesn't own a pair of shoes at all. She's never had shoes. These are the lowest of the lowest of people. They are total rejects, totally without society at all. And this is the ones we're touching. Their lives. Isn't he a doll? Isn't he darling? Wouldn't you love to just hold him? This is one of the workers. He made himself a hat. He has a hat. He made this little sign that says Moms Against Hunger. I have got to figure out a way to get him a proper hat to him. So we're researching that now, how to make sure it can actually get there. Go ahead. This is how they live. This is reality. They live in the garbage. We line them up outside their little hovels. They sit in the dirt. And we feed these babies. I don't know why that child is bald right there. I haven't found out yet why he is. But I will find out. But you can't imagine how happy they are to have a hot, real meal. It just touches my heart. I got these pictures yesterday. This was what was fed while I was driving here. These babies need us. They need someone to care for them. The scripture says, pure religion and undefiled before the Father is this. To feed the widows and the orphans in their affliction. And keep yourself unspotted from the world. We have much work to do. Much work to do. And thank you for supporting Moms Against Hunger. You're a part of this. And this is just two nations. 
You are part of feeding them. You may say, well, what's my 10 bucks do every month? A lot. Because she gives 10, she gives 10, she gives 10. When it all adds up, if I could just get the mothers of America to give 10 bucks, you know what we could do every month? Just $10. A lot. Anyway, God bless Moms Against Hunger. Amen? And thank you for being a partner with us. I think Angela told me that I, there are, we have six books left. That's it. And I'm going to have to order some more. They can be, you can get an ebook of it on Amazon. Just Google um, Growing the Leader Within You, and it comes up. The ebooks are always available, but I'm going to have to figure out how to get some more ordered. The other way to stay in contact is go to Facebook and like Moms Against Hunger. Then you can see all this stuff that I'm posting every day that's coming in and the stories. I had a, a, a major charity, which I'm always intimidated by the big guys, tell me, I can't believe who does not all that writing for you. You're telling stories like the rest of us can't figure out how to do. I said, well, let me just tell you something. I'm just a mom, and I write mom language. I'm not some big CEO sitting in some office, and you don't get your fingers dirty in your hand. You know, I, I'm just a mom, and moms speak a different language. We know how to make money stretch. Somebody say, Amen. We know how to kids get kids to eat their vegetables. Amen. We know how to do all kinds of things. So I work on a different level from those guys. But when I'm traveling, I'm also posting different adventures that are happening. For instance, my latest adventure was in the floods of Louisiana. I was there working. My truck broke down. So I had to spend 17 hours in a truck stop from 4 o'clock in the morning on into the Arby's of that truck stop. It was crazy. Finally, we get a big rig trucker to come in and haul our truck all the way back to Houston. Not a little wrecker, a big one. I've always wondered what a sleeper rig looks like inside. I got to find out. <laughs> I slept in one. So I'm videoing the truck is going, oh, 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 all the way back to Houston. I'm making videos. I'm posting stuff all the time. So you can get involved with that and stay up with what the adventure is at the moment. So my husband's like, are you really going to tell people that? I'm like, yeah, women want to know. Plus, it helps me to know that I, I have people praying wherever I'm at, whatever's going on. I have women that are praying. We are a mighty force to be reckoned with in prayer. Do you know the greatest natural untapped resource of the entire globe is? The greatest natural untapped resource is women. You network us together. We find ways to fix stuff, do stuff. It's amazing what women can accomplish. Amazing. So thank you for being a partner with us. Amen. I have one other request I need to ask you. You know, last night I was telling you about that necktie um, garment that I need. Okay, here's what I need to know if you can help me. Go to your husband's closet. Don't get his good ties. But every one of them has probably got 20 ties and wouldn't drink. Wouldn't be caught dead in, right? Bring me an offering of neckties. Could you do that? Help me make that robe so I can share it when I preach that again somewhere else. This is the first time I've preached it. The Lord just laid it on my heart to preach it. But I'm, I've got a desire. I, I need that prop. Wouldn't that be amazing to have? And my sweetheart friend right here is going to help me. She came to me. She said, the Lord showed me the pattern for it, how to make it, and the whole bit. I said, well, can you help me do it? She's like, yeah. Here we go, mom force together. So if you can, in the morning, I'll be here in the morning. Tomorrow morning is the last sermon. You don't want to miss it. 
of this series, if you can bring those neckties with you, ask your husband's permission so you don't have some dog fight when you get home. Ask him, can I have these? We need them. Bring those to me. She and I, I will give them to her, and we'll start working on this project. Would you like to be a part of that? Amen. Hallelujah. My daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law, my daughter, Toey. Uh, my husband's probably got 20 ties, 30 ties I can donate. <laughs> it's like, praise God, bring them on. But I'm sure many of you have husbands who do have ties. They don't wear anymore. Please ask him. Don't take the best ones. Please. We'll take the ugly ones. Because you put them all together, it's going to be magnificent. Can't you just see that in your head, how that could really work? Amen. It's going to work. Okay, so last night we took the first step. We talked about ordained peace. Today, on our journey, I'm going to take you to wilderness peace. Many of you last night were touched by the Lord, and I saw you writing the word of the Lord that was flowing in your heart, coming to you. And it was, God was revealing himself to you. That little notebook that you have this weekend is going to be a lifesaver at the next level that you get to. You're going to need these notes. Because God is doing something special. He's either preparing you for what's to come or he's affirming to you what you're in right now. So I encourage you to take notes. I'll try to be transparent today. I'll try to tell you my personal journey that might possibly help someone in their hour. To all the young women here today whose lives are still unmarked pages, thank you for coming. May you glean knowledge this weekend that will help you on your journey so when you hit the brick wall, you will not fall apart. You will not collapse, but you will have tools in your hands what to do, how to manage, and how to be an overcomer. Let's go back to Genesis 37, starting with verse 23. And it came to pass, when Joseph was coming to his brethren, remember, he's got three things. He's got the father's love, he's got a beautiful coat, and he's got dreams. Three things. Three is really an important number. You'll find threes happen a lot in your life when you're cognizant and you look at it. When Joseph was come to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, the coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25 says, And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes, And looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Galeed with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, three things, going to carry it down to Egypt. Who are these they? You got any they's in your life? You know, it's so funny when you go shopping and hear people say, well, you know, they say such and such. Everybody's always got a they. We don't know who they are. But the government is connotated as the they, 
the medical field is the they. The banker can be the they. Who's the they to Joseph? They breaks down into individual peoples, individual problems. It's easy for us to go to the mountain and just say, well, they failed me. They left me. They rejected me. But you know you've started really sifting through it when the they becomes personal and becomes people. Problems, circumstances. Because they always breaks down into a deeper level. And then the real fight starts. It's no longer they left me. It's he left me. Now we got to deal. It's easy to just discount a they. It's not so easy to discount a he. An individual, a person. Now we have to face facts. In Joseph's life, the they broke down into Reuben, Simeon and Levi, and that's very important, and Judah. Now Reuben was part of throwing him in the pit. But Reuben secretly said, well, let's just let him chill down there. It's dry. He's not going to drown. In a little while, I'll come back and get him out and send him home. I'll just scare him good. But I got to go run some business first. So Reuben was part of throwing him in and then left. The drama unfolds into Simeon and Levi, who hated him. So the oldest brother was part of throwing him in and leaving. The next two siblings come in. And say, we're going to kill him. Reuben's gone. He can't stop us. Let's do it. And then Judah has an idea. Wait a minute. Let's don't kill him. Let's don't get our hands dirty. Let's really think about this. And sees the camels coming down the road. Oh, here's the answer. Dude, let's just sell him. Why do we want to kill him? Let's just sell him. So they think about it a little while. Remember what he said about those sheaves? That we're going to bow down to him? I ain't bowing down to him. Who's he think he is anyway? Little smart old kid going to tell us what to do. Stand around the top edge of the well, cursing him inside the well. Your dream will always take you to a pit. <laughs> I thought you loved me, God. And what am I doing in a pit? I thought you were taking me to the palace. Boy, that was a lie from hell. I'm in the pit. No, you're in the will of God. The perfect will of God. How can that be the perfect will of God? To go through suffering, to be sold by your own brothers, to be mocked, to be scourged, to have your beloved coat torn up, shaking that coat over. Oh, you real smart now, aren't you, buddy? Got your act together now. You want this coat? Yeah, let me have it. Oh, no, you ain't getting this. We're going to have it now. We're going to get rid of you. You're nothing but a problem. You're a spoiled brat, and you're done. The angry, hateful words rain down on his soul. Can you see the sun, Joseph? The moon and the stars down in that pit? They bowing to you now, buddy? Can't you just hear the words that were pouring out, raining down on him? Joseph had fallen into the wilderness of peace. How can that be peace? 
my peace I give unto you, not as the world. I don't think like you. I don't act like you. I'm not one of you. My ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than yours. So I continually grapple with, how can this be God? How how can he cause failure to happen? I'm working so hard. I'm doing everything I can to make it work. And it's failing. I'm failing. I hate to be a failure. I'm not a failure. I'm a success. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. The enemy says, lies. Lies. You didn't hear from God. I wouldn't. God, that was a fantasy. I wasn't no vision from God. That was a fantasy from hell. And our minds are tormented. We go into the deepest, darkest places of our life. Unequipped to handle it. Unprepared for what's about to take place. Joseph in the pit regretted telling his brothers the dreams. You're mocking me now. And all of a sudden, three shocking events happened back to back in his life. Three. The first one is, after the wonderful camel ride with the slave owners, which he probably had a collar around his neck, he probably had to walk behind the camel, he lost all of his favorite son's status. He lost even the ability to ask for water. He became a slave instantly. He is sold to a man named Potiphar. And he's tormented by his dreams. I'm so mocked. I'm so made fun of. Here's his brother's voices ringing in his ears. You're a joke. You're a loser. I wish I'd never married you. I wish I'd never had you as a daughter, as a son. I wish you'd never been born. The words rain down on us in the pit. But God in his infinite, amazing Huge mind allows us to go into a pit to grapple with who we are. You see, the dream God's given you is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. You have to grow into the dream. Grow into the knowledge. Grow into. Many people come and pray, oh, God, you just gave me this, but nothing's happening. I just have sorrow and pain and trouble all the time. Yeah, and? When he got to Potiphar, he actually was in the school of education. Every hard thing you've been through was to teach you something, to bring you skill in something, to give you experience in a different level. What really does make you weep? Where is the seed of your compassion for other people? What makes you sorrowful? How do I get across the lesson of the wilderness? Without going to Potiphar's house. Joseph was forced to learn a language he didn't choose. He had to know the language. 
He was forced to learn customs he knew nothing about. He had to have a personal integration into Egyptian society, culture, ethnic differences, food and protocols. He had to learn all of that. You too must learn all of the protocols that have to do with your future. You will not learn them in your daddy's house. You have to go to the pit. You have to. Well, Joseph works hard all day long. Ain't no time off for a slave. From morning till night, he works. He learns. He is stretched. He's pulled. Every fiber of his being is being tormented as he tries to fit into this new world in which he has no rights. No respect is given to him. And yet, the dreams didn't leave. He lost his father. He lost his coat. But he did not lose the dream. At night, he was tormented by those dreams. I wish these dreams would just stop. I don't want to think about the sun, moon, and stars anymore. I don't want to think about my brother's voice mocking me in the night. I don't want to think about my coat and what the lie was they told my dad. He has no idea I'm still alive. I got no way to even tell him. And God is an incredible wisdom that far goes beyond our understanding. Allowed him to stay in slavery. Because he loved him? Yeah. Because he loved him. God will let us experience pain. He will put us in a place where we're uncomfortable. He is not going to take you out of that place because you're supposed to be training to rule and reign. Where? When? Do you know after we die this life, we've only just begun? And all the things we've been through in life are going to be required that we know. But we are such mortals that we can all think about it's just this room, inside this room, and everything I'm going through, I can't even focus. That beyond the veil, then I will rule and reign. What? I know people whose lives have been cut short. On this side of the way, we say, oh, how tragic. On God's side, he's like, oh, no, they were ready. Now they're going to live. I can't comprehend that. I'm a mortal. But then the story isn't about me at all. It's not about our dramas at all. It's about the king of glory who's creating and preparing a bride to marry someday on the other side of time, not this side. Once Joseph had understood and accepted and had a part in the Egyptian world and he had a real handle on it, then God causes the woman to graduating. You ever been graduated from one hell to another? I have. You just thought things were bad. You go to a whole new low. And the second thing happens. Abruptly, he's thrown into prison. Now, God, how can that be you? Poor thing. 
He's lost everything, and now he lost the low, the low status that he had as a treasured slave, and now he's a prisoner. This is a mockery. No, it's God. The dream was bigger than Joseph. The vision God had was bigger than anything he could have even fathomed. And what God wants to do in you is bigger than your own mind can retain. It's bigger than your dream. You don't even comprehend what God's really trying to do. We constantly get in God's way. Oh, God, please stop the fight. Please, Lord, I need you. He don't stop it. He lets the pressure intensify. Oh, you're having a hard time? Here, let's just push a little harder. But God, I'm going to break. God, I can't take no more. All the while releasing our human ambition, our human knowledge and opinions, and learning to be more and more yielded. It's a process, my friend. He abruptly goes to prison because he now had to learn leadership skills in the political system. Everything Joseph ever went through, he was going to need in the future. Everything you have ever been through and are going through, you need as a skill for where God's going to take you. You have to have it. you got to go through the pit. you got to go through Potiphar's house, and now you got to go to prison. I know it doesn't make sense to us mentally. It doesn't even comprehend. How can they be God? But how else was Joseph going to learn politics and power? How was he going to know how it felt to be in the bottom of a prison starving to death unless he went there himself? How is he going to know the importance of a morsel of food? At least in Potiphar's house, the guy was wealthy and he could eat whenever nobody was looking. Now. He's totally dependent on someone else to give him food. Why on earth would he go through that? Because he was going to be in charge of feeding a nation and a whole world. He had to know how it felt to be starving to death. He had to know. you got to know. We're so busy focusing on trying to claw our way out of the pit. We're not learning the lessons. Hurry up and learn the lessons. It's important. You're distracted by trying to release yourself out of it instead of learning. And the more we try to get out of it, the longer the lesson takes. I can't get out of this mess. Number two, he goes to prison. He learns hunger. He learns torture. He learns physical pain. And down in his heart, he said, I wish my brothers were here. They threw me in this mess. This is their problem. He talked many a conversation to Simeon and Levi and Reuben. Many a conversation inside that dark spell. Reuben, if you were here right now, if I could just talk to you, Simeon, look what you did to my life. You ruined my life. Everything was gone except the dreams. They continued to torment him. Continued to hurt him. Continued to mock him. I must be crazy. I must be crazy. Why did I dream that I ruined my own life? Why did I open my mouth and tell him anything? So much regret. I'm grieving still. I lost of my life. And grief is a part 
of the process in the wilderness of peace. Grief and loss, you must understand. If you don't understand it, it can collapse you. You can lose your faith. You can lose your trust in Almighty God. You can lose it. If you lose that, you lose the dream. And the third thing that happened to Joseph in the wilderness of peace, he met two men from the palace. He had to learn all about the office of Pharaoh, who Pharaoh was. Why do I need to know about Pharaoh? I'm crazy. Why do I need to know about him? Who cares? Except one incredible thing happened. They told him their dreams. Two men told him their dreams. And he instantly had the understanding. Oh, wait. The very first glimmer of light appears in the wilderness that says, I know how to interpret dreams. I have the gift here in prison. I can tell them means and suddenly Joseph with all his regrets with all the baggage he's built around himself to protect his own heart all of the grief and losses has one tiny glimmer of hope I'm going to tell them what their dream means and they're going to go tell Pharaoh and I'm going to get out of here there was one more lesson to learn that did not happen quickly. Because the last lesson to be learned in the wilderness of peace is patience. You mean I got two more years in the pit? Yes. Because it ain't about you. There's a timing that's happening when all things converge into this razor point of an edge. When all pieces come together in this gigantic puzzle that God is building out of your life. All things must come together at the right time, the right place. So that you are launched into the future. How is it I can interpret other people's dreams and I can't interpret my own? I can pray for other people and they get well, but I can't get well. I can help counsel people with their marriages and mine's a joke. Could it be the wilderness of peace still has lessons to be learned that haven't yet been grasped? We're too busy pushing them away instead of embracing them. What am I supposed to learn in this dark travail? What is it I'm supposed to understand? Why am I busy pushing when I should be pulling to myself? Joseph fed himself continually on his two dreams. They're nothing but a curse to me. I can't forget them. Their great sorrows have been inflicted on me. I'm trapped with no way out. Those two dudes, they totally forgot me. They never even mentioned my name to the, to the Pharaoh. I'm lost here. I'm just lost. My life is a joke. Until God's timing comes, you can either frustrate the plan of God You can walk away from the plan of God. 
You can pervert the plan of God. Or you can wait on the plan of God. I don't know. I don't know. You can frustrate the plan of God. Walk away from it. Pervert it. Or wait. Those are the ways. God will force you into the wilderness when he has a calling on your life. You're in the wilderness? Stop being disillusioned. Stop being afraid. Stop being disappointed. Stop. Learn what the wilderness is doing for you. There's often three stages or three losses in a leader's life. The wise person will pinpoint them and pick them out. Look back in your history of the three major losses you've been through. Have you spent your whole life trying to recover from them? Have you spent your life justifying them? Trying to work it out mentally instead of what did I learn from it? What did it teach me? How did it help? Jesus had such a time in his life when he was called of the Spirit. Matthew 4.1 says, Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. What? Jesus was the blessed, the anointed, the Messiah, the Son of God. How on earth would God lead him to the wilderness? I'm telling you, it is a part of your journey. He gets to the wilderness and three amazing things happen that will also happen to you. The first one is, Satan tells him, turn these stones into bread. Your temptation will be that you will create your own solutions. As one who's walked through the wilderness, the very first test you're going to have is you're going to be tempted to create your own solution. Well, I just walk away from this man. I just leave this marriage. I'll just get a divorce. Go right ahead and walk yourself right out of the plan of God. It's hard. He's mean. You don't know what I'm dealing with. No, but God's there. You're in the wilderness. Yes. That's the first lesson. And Jesus answered him back with not his own words. He just used this word. It is in the wilderness you will learn your words don't matter it's like hitting a brass ceiling you move from talking to mourning no point in saying anything else about it no point you been there the second thing that happened Satan told Jesus, throw yourself down from the temple pinnacle because the angels are going to catch you. We are tempted to force God to do something our way. We're going to make God do it our way. I'm going to speak it into existence. I'm going to tell God this is the way we're going to do it. Really? Be careful. That's a temptation. You're not going to make God do anything. 
We are nothing but mere human mud pies that breathe. That's the second one. The third thing that happens is Satan said, all this I will give to you if you worship me. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to give you success. I'm going to make everybody love you. All lies. We are tempted to turn from the living God into the worship of things, places, people, materialistic goods, and human glories. We are tempted to do such a thing. Many a minister has fallen into that trap. Three major things. Three terrible fights. Three hard things. You study those three temptations. At one point, Satan uses the word and says, it is written. He uses it back to him. If we don't know what this word says, we can be led astray. We need to know for ourselves. In the wilderness is where you get to know this book. This is where you know the book. When you go to bed at night and you open your Bible and lay it on your chest and you weep tears that fall out of the sides of your face and wet your pillow and you say, God, I got nobody but you. Nobody but you. I can't even breathe if you don't help me. I can't bear it if you don't help me. And that word jumps off the page and becomes alive to you. Then you go from level one to level two, which is relationship. In the level of peace, you will discover it is the wilderness where your relationship with God is deepened. And that's not a wonderful church service, and we need them so badly. That's in the nightmare of your own life. That's where you find him. Wilderness peace means grabbing onto God with all your heart, all your mind, your soul, and your strength. For it is the time of great pressure, great sorrow in the deep ravines of trouble. It's when you learn to write what God says to you because you can't get through the next 20 minutes. If he don't help me stand, I'm not going to make it. If he doesn't help me, I'm not going to survive this. It's where you learn. There are three levels, death, hell, and the grave. Jesus went to those three levels and conquered them already for you. But that does not mean that you may not go through death stuff. You may not suffer having to bury things. And you may not know the meaning of the grave yourself until you experience it in some form of your life. Until you bury a child. You may not know what it means. And then there's hell. We've all heard the same, oh, there's going to be hell to pay if you do that. Really? One time in the mountains of Romania, we were with one of the great apostles there in Romania who went through horrible struggles and trials with, with communism, and yet he brought the power of the Holy Ghost to that part of the world. We knelt down in front of him, and he said words that scared me to death. He put his hands on our heads and he said, may you have great faith in the face of Satan. I did not know then what that meant. I was a little scared, a little intimidated. I know now what that means. And I have reminded myself many times 
No, Satan is facing us right now, but we have already been prayed for that we would have great faith when he came before us. You, my friend, have already been prayed for. Jesus already prayed for you. The secret is, in the wilderness, you don't remember that when you're hearing the screaming voices of intimidation and fear and scaring you to death and making you think all this stuff's going to happen. You reach a new level when you face it and say, bring it on. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Take everything. Fine. Go ahead. You reach a whole new level. Job had to go level to level to level. Why? Because God was going to give him double, triple, quadruple in the end. And his life was a lesson for us in 2016. How could he have even comprehended such a thing? Yet the pit was before him. Total loss was with him. Because we needed his words. How do you know what God is writing about you? How do you know what God's intending to use you for? You can't comprehend it. It's too big. Yet in the midst of the death, in the midst of the depths, when you cry out to God in the prison, when you cry out to God in slavery, when you cry out to God when you've been totally rejected, he steps near you. Being God's in the pit. Yeah, remember he went to death, hell, and the grave and took the keys away? So he knows all about those places. He's not intimidated by them. He's able to walk straight into that place. Because he's been there before. And he has the authority over it. So in the pit is where you deepen your Christian faith. I told the Lord one time in a pit, I said, God. I just can't walk forward anymore. I can't move. He said, then stand. When you can't walk forward, stand. And then from that place, I went to a place where I was too weak to stand. And I said, God, I can't stand anymore. And he said the most wonderful words. He said, then just lean on me. Just lean on me. I know this is a deep word, but in where we are in 2016, we are going to have to start eating meat so that we can survive what's about to happen. If we are in the end generation, do you know what can happen? Are you prepared? Will you be strong enough? Will your faith not give out? When you get where you can't walk, you have to stand. When you get where you can't stand, you're going to have to learn how to lean. You're going to have to learn how to lean. And one night, when I was in such a place and I had to lean, I'm laying in my bed and I'm leaning on him. And it was as if he was holding me in his arms like I was a child. That lasted all night long. Another time I was leaning. I felt the Lord come and sit on the edge of the bed. I felt the mattress go down. He sat and he put his arm around me and he stayed all night. He said, you sleep, I'll watch. In the morning when I woke up, 
I felt him stand up and say, you think you can walk today? I said, yeah, because you were here all night. I think I can today. Don't look too far ahead. Don't try to figure out everything. If you're in the wilderness, don't go there. Just live and stay and lean in the position that you're in. Just stay right there. Stay close to Jesus. Lean on him. Let him carry you. Once you go to that place, you never unlearn those lessons. You have them. It's as if your right hand is you and your left hand is him. And he's holding you, working together. You're learning how to lean on him, listen to him, obey what he says. Walk through that wilderness closely tied to him. Jonah had this lesson. It lasted three days and nights in the belly of a whale or a great fish. Moses was hidden for three months, three nightmare months by his mother who was scared to death her son was going to be killed every single day. For three months she hid him. What a nightmare. What a wilderness. I don't know if my son's going to survive. I don't know if I can handle this. I won't bear it if they kill my baby. If Pharaoh didn't get him, the crocodiles can't get him. I don't know how I can bear this. This unknowing, this fearfulness. And yet it was God to put him in the river. Float him down the river to get to the right place at the right time. You are waiting on the right time. Don't give up. All things are going to converge at the right moment. There's a great master plan over your life. A great powerful thing going to happen over your life. Lazarus was dead for three days in the grave. Paul was blinded for three days trying to figure out who he was and who Jesus was. Genesis 39:21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The one thing I can tell you in the wilderness is he's with you. He's with you. You may not have people. You may have lost a house. You may have lost everything else. But you will never lose Jesus. Never lose Jesus. He said already. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Sometimes in the wilderness, you are completely stopped. You are completely still. Instead of begging God to turn the stones into bread, instead of begging God, please just let me jump off this and you catch me and then, you know, work it out somehow. Instead of doing all those manipulations and those Negotiations with God. Look around you at the mountains you're facing, at the torment that you're dealing with, and say, what am I supposed to be learning from this? You may not like what you write down. To be more humble. Oh, I don't like that word. To be more forgiving. I don't like that word. But write it down. It's important in the education of who you're going to be eternally. You can find a place of peace in the wilderness. The three men in the fiery furnace found a wilderness peace. When they came to the place outside themselves that said, if we perish, we perish. 
that's a learned place of peace, you don't get any other way than dying to yourself. If I perish, I perish. Daniel prayed three times a day, knowing his life would be at risk. And he prayed anyway, because he'd come out of who he was. I'm going to pray until, I'm going to pray continually, because my relationship with him is greater than my fear of man. Queen Esther, in the Jewish crisis, was in a wilderness. She came to the very same place and said, if I perish, I perish. Your wilderness peace will come in the course of many words from the Holy Spirit. Many. I encourage you, the greatest thing you can do in the wilderness is write what the Father says to you. Write it down. Write it down. Write it down. You may have to go back to those words 50 times in that day, but if you have written down what he said to you, it will always give you strength. He will always challenge your mind. He will always work with your spirit. He will always cause you to come to a higher place. If it hadn't been for the amazing relationship with God, I would not have survived the wilderness myself. Would not have. There were too many things against. The crisis was too intense. The battle was too long. There's too many things, people, places, stuff, couldn't have survived. One such wilderness was the wilderness of my health. I learned so much through those wilderness times. I wouldn't trade them for anything now. Thank you, Jesus, that you put me in the wilderness. And Joseph reached a time in his journey, and I'm not going to go there just yet, but he reached a time where he, instead of looked forward into torment, he looked back into experience and said, Thank you, God, I went to the pit. And your infinite love and your infinite mercy for me. (laughs) You blow my mind and you took me to the pit, Lord. You blew me out of the water. Remember, we are not our own. We have been bought with the price. We now no longer belong to us. There's a great doctrine out today that says, I am. I am strong. I am great. I am wonderful. I am everything. Oh, no. I somehow have figured out in my personal life, I'm nothing. I have shown myself I'm weak. He is my I am. I am not my I am. My I am takes me from disappointment to failure to mess up. Because I am only frail human being. But when he is the I am, and he knows you know he's the I am, you've moved to a new level. You can have peace in your wilderness. It doesn't have to control you. There's a new level for you waiting. We're going to get to ordained peace over here. You've got to have go through the wilderness right here to get to that ordained place.
to where you've reached inside yourself and said, if I perish, I perish. I came to a place in my own life where I said, if I get sick and die, hallelujah, I'm going to paradise. Didn't I, Ange? I said, come on, let's go. I'd rather go home. Oh, well, that's not what the devil wanted. Because he knows when I get home, I'm going to make him pay. He don't want that to happen yet. I went from being afraid of cancer the first time, scared to death I was going to die as a pastor's wife. You're not supposed to be afraid of dying, but I was. And there was no one to talk to about. That's the second time I experienced that same problem. I discovered that there was a calling on my life, a dream, a prayer I had prayed at seven years old. That person I asked for their anointing appeared in my bedroom and said, we put her through all this. And that person pointed their finger at me and said, what, are you going to quit before the greatest battle of the church? That's what they said to me. And I was so shocked. And I trembled and I realized I've been given that mail. I didn't know it. And had never thought of it since I was seven years old. And God sent that person to me to tell me, wake up. And I repented that night. I said, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I have a calling on my life, something I'm supposed to accomplish. I promise you, God, I'll quit. And the third time it happened, I said, bring it on, devil. I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to make you pay now. I did. I did. Suddenly, I lost my fear. I knew my calling. And then I became bold against darkness. The fourth time, they told me I didn't even pray about it. I'm telling you the truth. We told our church they were scared to death. I saw fear in their eye. They all pat me on the back. I'm praying for you, honey. I said, okay, that's good. I seriously didn't pray about it because I knew my calling hasn't yet been done. I can't go nowhere. And the devil's a little scared of me. And I'm not afraid to die no more. So I was being equipped. Can you see that? Level by level, layer by layer, you are being equipped for something mighty, something powerful in your life. And when I laid on that testing table and they took me through test after test, they said, are you all right? I said, yeah. Can I take a nap? I really need a break. What? Yeah. I was that much at peace. I said, give me some headphones. Give me some music. You guys do your stuff. I'm going to take a nap. And I literally did. I had that much peace in the wilderness. The ladies in my church were shocked. They said, I can't believe. Why are you so calm? You're not even upset. Like, because I faced this devil before. I'm not afraid of him anymore. Do you keep going around the mountain because you're not yet to the place where you have conquered yourself? Where you've understood where you are mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually? Are we like the Israelites? We've got to keep going around and around in the wilderness. Haven't yet gained it. Come to church, hear a great message. It lasts about 20 minutes. We get home, we can't even remember what the word said. What did he preach? Oh, it's a great message. Well, what did he say? I don't know. Seriously? God will get our complete attention in the wilderness. 
you won't forget those lessons. The Lord told me the lessons that last the longest are teaching you the most. And that's true. If you're in the wilderness today, let me encourage you, in your darkness, put your hand out and grab a hold of God's with all you've got. Tell him, God, I don't want to hold on to you like the little girl crossing the street. I don't want to hold on to you because I might drop your hand. You hold on to me. So if I trip, I can't fall because you got me. Exchange the place of dependence from human beings and human reasoning. Exchange those places for complete and total trust in God Almighty who made your body, mind, soul, and strength. Exchange it. And abruptly, like a door opening, the other side of your wilderness, abruptly the door opens, amazingly, into an incomplete and unspeakable, fathomless knowledge that Oh, my God, I went through all of that because this was for me? Yes, my daughter, it's for you. You thought I was preparing all this for you. Oh, no, I was preparing you for all this. You be encouraged today. You take heart in the place where you are. Drive out lukewarmness. Drive out apathy. Lest the wilderness drive it out for you. Can we pray? My Jesus, what are you teaching me in the wilderness? From the perfected state of wisdom, what are you trying to show me? I, in my ignorance, I'm so blind. So dumb sometimes. I just don't get it. Open my understanding to see, to really realize and grasp and learn from this wilderness I'm in. Open the eyes of my understanding. Wake me up. I'm so focused on stopping the pain. I'm not learning what I'm supposed to be learning with the pain. Help me to embrace the pain. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's terrible. Yes, I'm grieving. But what are you trying to show me in this pain? Alleviate my pressure mentally so I can focus on what you're trying to show me. Because I truly know I'm supposed to learn something in the wilderness. I want you to pick up your notebook. I want you to pick up your pen, and I want you to write down what the Father says to you right now. Write it down in your wilderness. He's in the wilderness with you. You're not in this place by yourself. He's in the wilderness with you. The temptations that you're grappling with, the fears you're trying to conquer, write it down. God, I am facing this. Face it. And then listen for what he says back to you.
right without distraction it's about you and him anyway tell him I can't walk anymore help me to stand or tell him I can't stand anymore help me to lean Or tell him I can't lean anymore. Help me to lay in your arms. Yes, Jesus. Speak to your daughter, Lord. Help her, Jesus. She's weary and well-doing. Help her, Jesus, in the wilderness. Help her to have a manifested presence of you. Oh, so close. Strengthen your daughter now, Father, in the wilderness. Strengthen her. Can you just savor him? Savor him. Thank you that you're not ending the battle, but you're ending me. I've come to the end of myself. It's not about me anymore. It's about you. I'm at the end of myself. If you need to die right now, go ahead and die. Go ahead and give it up. Give up yourself. Give up your pride. Give up who you are. Give up your self-protection. Not to people, to God, to Him. Come on, write what He's saying to you. Write it right now in this precious moment. certain peace that comes when we have released it all into the hands of the living God and can say with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, if I perish, I perish. On this side of eternity, it's just imagination. If I perish, I'll wake up in paradise. Which is my goal anyway. Is it yours? It's all said and done. Is that not our goal? Yes. It is. I love you, Lord. Can you say with me, I love you, Jesus? I love you, Jesus. Thank you for being with me in the wilderness. 
I realize there are times in the wilderness and you have to go be by yourself and scream it out, cry it out, bawl it out. You're going to have to find those times. I found that on a seashore one time in an ocean at midnight. Yes, there were people still out walking the beach, but I'm telling you, I lost it on that seashore. I cried out to God. With all my heart, I didn't care who heard. And a stranger walked up and said, are you upset? I said, yeah, I'm having a battle. See ya. I put my feet in that water. And I said, God, if I could walk out as far as I could go and I could swim away, I would go. I felt the presence of the Almighty God hover over those waves. I felt it. I know He was there and He was watching me. He was testing me to see if I was going to give up or I was going to give in to Him. You may be in the final test of your whole experience. Are you going to give up or are you going to give in to Him? He's watching to see before the weight of blessing comes on you, are you able to give up to him? If I perish, I perish. But I'm not going to give in to temptation. I'm giving in to Jesus. Stage two. Will end. Guaranteed. Stage two. Will end. I'll give you some more at lunch.